Currently, we are in the book of Psalms during these summer months. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 100. Read it with me. Psalm 100, a, a psalm for giving thanks. A lot of times people leave that off, but that too is a part of the inspired word, a psalm for giving thanks. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and, and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. The first hole-in-one at the Masters Golf Tournament occurred in 1947 on, on the 12th hole there in Augusta, Georgia. Claude Harmon and Ben Hogan were paired together. The, the two were friends. But while they were good friends, their personalities were, were worlds apart. Harmon was a, a, a charismatic, outgoing fellow. Hogan was the consummate professional. Always businesslike, and this was nowhere more true than on the golf course. Harmon had honors as they stepped up to hole number 12. He teed the ball, he took a swing, and knocked the ball right into the cup. For the first Masters Tournament hole-in-one ever, the crowd erupted. Hogan, however, didn't even acknowledge it. As usual, he was all business, no congratulatory handshake, no, no nod, no, no smile of acknowledgement, nothing. Straight away, serious as usual, he, he stepped to the tee and hit the ball a few feet away from the 12th hole. Walking to the green, the, the crowd was a twitter over Harmon's hole-in-one. As Harmon pulled his momentous ball from the hole, the crowd broke into a roar of cheers and applause. All the while, Ben Hogan surveyed the green in preparation for his putt. In deep concentration, he, he seemed completely oblivious to the historic event he had just witnessed. And then, in typical Hogan manner, he putted the ball into the cup for a birdie. As the two friends made their way to the, the 13th tee, the, the crowd still abuzz with excitement. Hogan spoke up. He said, you know, Claude, that's the first two I've ever made on that hole. It's easy to get distracted, isn't it? Think about it. People, things, events have, have a way of, of pulling our attention away from where it should be. Ben Hogan is a good example of someone 
who refused to be robbed of what was going on in his own life. He would not allow distractions to, to cheat him of things he would otherwise thankfully appreciate. Question. How often do you allow what's going on in the lives of others around you to distract you? Do you have a tendency of allowing distractions to, to, to cheat you from the important things in life? It happens, doesn't it? To all of us. It's easy to get distracted. With all that's been going on around us lately, distraction is a problem, a, a huge problem. Everyday life has been ripped from its moorings with COVID, racial inequities, economic strangulation. Distraction is, a, is an enormous complication. Where do we look? Where do we turn? Where do we go? Perhaps your problem is closer to home than that. Finances, a job situation, health. Fill in the blank. You can almost fill anything, can't you? It's for this reason that I turn us to Psalm 100 today. Psalm 100 addresses two questions basic to being thankful. First, it addresses why we should be thankful. And second, it addresses how to be thankful. So, ask yourself that first question. Why should I be thankful? What do I have to be thankful about? Most people respond that they're thankful when, when things are going their way. Huh? When they're getting out of life what they want of life. That's when they're thankful. Thankfulness is, in that case, a situational thing. It's controlled by the events of life in which we find ourselves. So let me ask you, is this where your praise resides, your, your thankfulness? On a, on a situational roller coaster? One minute it's up, and the next minute it is creaming down towards the bottom. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, is your joy based in the situations in which you find yourself? If so, it's a problem, isn't it? Because nothing is ever really to our liking or for very long. So let me ask you again, why should we as believers be thankful? According to the psalmist, the answer is, is quite simple because we have a relationship with the living Lord of heaven and earth, a relationship with God himself. Look at verse 3, but let's begin back at verse 1. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness and come before him with joyful songs. And now verse 3, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. 
the psalmist somewhere over the course of his life made a profound discovery. A thankful heart, a, a life that overflows with gratitude is the product of a relationship with God. As a new believer, I used to marvel as Marty Zaid, a, a friend and missionary, would share the Lord with people. Often they would say, well, I'm happy the way I am. Marty would respond, no, you're not. You can't possibly be happy. Oh, sure, you think you are, but you're not. Happiness, real happiness, is found only in a life-changing relationship with the Lord. I can hear his voice saying it now. And you know what? My friend Marty is right. Some of these people saw him as presumptuous, but you know what? He was still right. Happiness is the product of our relationship with the Lord. Praise grows out of understanding how, how insignificant we are and how all-significant the Lord is. This is the kind of discovery that marks the difference between uh, a head knowledge about God and a practical, foundational, life-changing knowledge about God. Such a discovery finds God in control, never surprised, and always dispensing love and grace and mercy. And this is exactly why the psalmist says what he does. Know that the Lord is God. Know it, understand it, realize it, comprehend it. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Do you get the picture? I, I hope you do. The problem is, not many of us do. Most of us bob through life religiously saying the Lord is God, but with no comprehension as to the power of that statement. When someone says the Lord is God, a question is called for. So what? What difference does it make? You see, the phrase the Lord is God only carries weight when it makes a difference in our lives, a functional, determinative difference. Otherwise, it's only so much religious verbiage, empty, vain, religious banter with no weight to it at all. All kinds of people proclaim the Lord. Only a few respond with, and that makes me his. Many give it lip service. Few live under the weight of it. Richard B. Douglas had a handle on this when he said, the modern American seldom pauses to give thanks for the simple blessings of life. One reason is that we are used to having so much. We simply assume that we will have all the good things of life. Another reason is that it hurts our pride to be grateful. We do not want to admit that God is the provider of all good things. We're simply his stewards. Being thankful requires 
humility and faith in God. When we have these, we can be thankful. Praise, thanksgiving, gratitude all begin in our relationship with God. Not things, not, not situations, not other people. It begins in our relationship with God. Tragically, this is why so many of us in the church today have such an anemic testimony. We haven't a clue what it's all about. This is why Patrick Miller notes, prayer and praise are the most explicit and clear testimonies to the reality of God in a God-denying or God-indifferent world. Ask yourself, is the Lord my God? If so, be ready to deal with the question, so what? What difference does it make? If so, if you are his. As Patrick Miller says, prayer and praise will be the exclamation of your life. It will be bold and it will be pronounced and it will most of all be visible. Others will see it. Why are we thankful? Because we belong to the sovereign creator of all things. He is our God and we, listen to this, we are his children. When you realize who God is, who you are and the unique relationship you possess, joy oozes out of your heart. It can't help but ooze out of your heart. Gratitude is the, the sheer expression of who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not the only reason for our thankfulness, according to the psalmist. It may be the primary reason, but it's not the only reason. The psalmist offers a, a follow-up reason for praise. Look at the last verse of the psalm. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through, through all generations. Elsewhere, Scripture tells us that every good gift comes down from the Heavenly Father. James tells us that. Every good gift comes down from the Father. He is the source of all we have and all we are. The very breath in our mouths, says Warren Worsby, is the free gift of God. Thankfulness is the opposite of selfishness. The selfish person says, I deserve what comes to me. Other people ought to make me happy. But the mature Christian realizes that life is a gift from God. And that the blessings of life come only from his bountiful hand. Thankfulness is the opposite of selfishness. That's quite a thought, isn't it? I have always appreciated Warren Worsby. Thankfulness is the opposite of selfishness. How many selfish people do you know who are thankful? Or uh, happy, for that matter? If selfish people are happy, they're... They're only happy and satisfied and joyful for a moment. It doesn't last any time at all. 
Those who are mature in Christ understand that God is the source, support, and the end of all things. They've realized that without God's love, without his, his goodness, his faithfulness, they're nothing. But that with it, they're everything. This is a truth only discovered by those who live in the shadow of the cross. Only from that vantage point are, are we able to, to view God's goodness and faithfulness in, in the scope of his entirety. Only from that vantage point are we humble enough to receive it with gratitude. The problem is, so many of us refuse to live in the shadow of the cross. We're, we're too busy here or there or, or doing this or, or doing that. And that's exactly why most of us miss out on the joy of the Lord. Why should we be thankful, you and me? Because the Lord is our God. Because we are his. Because we deserve so little of what he has so abundantly given. That's the first question. What about the second question? How? Are we to be thankful? What does uh, thankfulness look like? As I read the text, I, I found it evident that giving thanks requires our presence. Twice the text indicates how important our presence is. The first and third stanzas both mention this. Come before him with joyful songs, the first stanza says. The third stanza calls those full of gratitude to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Praising God doesn't happen with an absentee ballot. It, in fact, if you follow the text, if, if you follow scripture as a whole, it can't happen with an absentee ballot. Sure, you can praise the Lord in the quietness of your own activities during the week uh, when you're alone. But we as his children have been called to a, a corporate relationship. It was true in the Old Testament and it's true today. A corporate gathering. This is what the psalmist is talking about when he says, Come before him with joyful songs. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Thankfulness expressed in this context involves our gathering together, our coming together. You cannot claim to be a child of God and not be a part, a functional part of a local family, a local church. I'm sure you are saying, well, this is currently impossible. COVID has brought all that to a screeching halt. And, you know, you'd be right. This is why I'm thankful for what technology has enabled us to do. Events like this one right now. The Zoom calls we make, FaceTime, those kind of things. Technology has helped phenomenally. All this comes in handy in this time of virus. And we will be back together in a few months. I don't know how long. I'm not a 
seer or a prophet, but I think we'll be back together in a few months. I don't know about you, but I have come to appreciate our time together all that much more in its absence. I miss you. I miss our worship. I miss your faces, your smiles, your tears, your voices, your hugs, your handshakes. I miss you, our, our singing, our, our praise together. And I will be glad when we get back together. We all know people who think that they can worship God in nature. They, they talk about how much, how much closer they feel to God in, in the rugged mountains or beside a, a, a pristine lake. I've heard people say that the surrealness of the landscape, the stillness of the air, fills them with an unmatched sense of God's presence. This all sounds good, but, but I have news for you. This is not what the Lord has called his people to do. Giving thanks to God expects our personal involvement, our involved presence together in worship together. It's a corporate thing. It's a family thing. Come before God, the psalmist says. Enter his gates. You see, we all individually move to a, a central location together. We, we come together. We join together. That's the operative word. We come together. Thanksgiving expressed in this psalm expects that we, we join with others to offer praise to our God. In that day, it was the temple. Today, it's the local church. But it's more than just being at some place. Thanksgiving, as the psalmist depicts it, is characterized by an underlying sense of exuberance. Anyone can give lip service to praise. The praise of the psalmist is marked by an inner exuberance. You want a different word? How about passion? What is laid out in Psalm 100 is a passionate expression of gladness. Psalm 100 uses words like, like worship in verse 2 and, and giving thanks in verse 4. The form is important, but, but the underlying attitude is, is the real determiner. Such an attitude comes out in words like shout and joy in verse 1, gladness in verse 2, and praise in verse 4. These are emotional words, passionate words that run deep into the soul and flow out of the heart. Words expressing exuberance and passion. It's impossible to shout for joy dispassionately. Think about that. Joy is one of those things that can't be hidden. A heart brimming with praise has to overflow expressively. Old-time preacher John Henry Jowett wrote, Life without thankfulness is devoid of love and passion. Hope without thankfulness is, is lacking fine perception. Faith without thankfulness 
lacks strength and fortitude. Every virtue divorced from thankfulness is maimed and limps along the spiritual road. This old-time preacher, long since departed, is right on gratitude or a lack of it, colors all the different aspects of our lives. It is a determiner of our whole being. A more contemporary preacher, Vance Abner, he acknowledged our biggest problem in the church today is this vast majority of Sunday morning Christians who claim to have known the master's cure and who return not to thank him by presence, prayer, testimony, and the support of his church. In fact, the whole Christian life is one big thank you. The, the living expression of our gratitude to God for his goodness. What we take him for granted and what we take for granted, we never take seriously. Wow. There's the rub, folks. How seriously we take the Lord. I know men who take football more seriously than they do their God. Women, likewise, who pursue social functions with, with far more passion than they do their Lord. We all know people who, who charge ahead enthusiastically about this or that, but they never have the same excitement, the same enthusiasm about the Lord. Do you take God seriously? Do you serve him with, with passion and delight? You see, those are the measuring rods of thanksgiving. Psalm 100 is referring to our relationships in the family of God, something that, that ought to be rich and loving and vital. It, it ought to be rewarding and building, reassuring and comforting. Dr. David Soper in God is Inescapable suggests that the difference between a prison and a monastery is the difference between griping and gratitude. That's an intriguing thought, isn't it? Soper continues, Imprisoned criminals spend every waking moment griping. Self-imprisoned saints spend every waking moment offering thanks. When a criminal becomes a saint, a prison becomes a monastery. When a saint gives up gratitude, a monastery becomes a prison. Attitude makes all the difference in the world. It is the determiner. My four-year-old daughter tells Doug Saban was recently singing that great song of worship, The King is Exalted. However, without realizing, she was singing enthusiastically, The King is Exhausted. Is your testimony one of exaltation or one of exhaustion? The words are amazingly close-sounding, aren't they? They can even be sung alike, but, but guess what? They can't be lived alike.
each directs your life differently. Christian Parent Magazine had this story. A little five-year-old girl had been attending the church kindergarten. Each day, the children were dismissed by the teacher as they would sing the doxology. The five-year-old loved to sing it, but didn't quite have the idea. Her doxology went like this. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures. Here we go. Are you more concerned about entering into worship or getting out of it? It's our attitudes that determine whether you are a prisoner or a praiser. Whether he is exalted or exhausted in your life. Whether you are going to God or, or getting away from him. Thankfulness depends on our relationship with the Lord. On the intimacy and passion with which we come to God. My wife's father tells Marshall Shelley is a Kansas farmer. He has spent a lifetime raising wheat, corn, milo, beef, and along the way some, some sheep and chickens. One morning, while I followed him around the farm, we talked about the difference between city living and rural lifestyle. Most city people I know expect each year to be better than the last, he said. They think it's normal to get an annual raise, to, to earn more this year than you did last year. As a farmer, I have good years and bad years. It depends on rain at the right time, dry days for harvest, no damaging storms. Some years we, we have more, some years we have less. Marshall Shelley comments, It was one of those indelible moments of stunning clarity that the law of the harvest, some years being fat and others being thin, applied to much more than agriculture. Growing in spiritual maturity requires gratefully accepting the, the seasons of more and the seasons of less that God weaves in the, into the specific areas of our lives. Our friendships, marriage, careers, finances, ministry, and spiritual growth. I agree with Marshall Shelley. How true it is and, and how often we miss it. And beyond that, how often we hang our happiness on it, our, our thankfulness on it. Thankfulness happens when we realize how special our relationship with the Lord really is. Only in realizing him and his presence and his provision will we grasp how blessed we are in him. Bow with me. 
Father, we marvel at your goodness and grace. We openly confess how frequently we have, how frequently, Father, we've taken you for granted and failed to take you seriously. We remember what you have done for us, uh, how, how bountiful and wonderful it is, Father. We remember how wonderful you are and, and how fortunate we are in you. I pray that we will be filled with your glory in a way that overflows into every aspect of our lives. That our lives will be a, a reflection of, of who you are and how thankful we are. And Father, I, I pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you until we meet again.